All right. So ladies and gentlemen, I'm very excited to speak with uh, a friend of mine, someone I consider a friend, um, former teammate, a uh, very distinguished gentleman um, from my experiences knowing him, um, and uh, newly the uh, fencing coach of the year, um, Div 1 Fencing. So I'm very excited to speak with Jason Henderson. Welcome on, man. Hey, Brian. Nice to see you. Nice Dear friend you. and teammate. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For sure. So yeah, man, again, just congratulations on all the success this year. I'm super excited for you when I kind of saw the news in my feed um, and just kind of, you know, tracking the, tracking the progress of the program and of you. Um, so I just want to start there, really. Um, tell us how it feels to be, to be the coach of the year. Thank you. Um, it's a weird experience. Cause like, I remember when I was a student and like my last year at Rutgers, our last year at Rutgers, um, when our former coach of FEM won, um, I clearly remember that moment as one of those like defining moments of um, my college career. Um, and so to come around and actually win it myself, it, it really means a lot. And it's, it's significant that it is voted on by so many coaches around the country. And it's one thing to be a good athlete, but the job of coach is a different job and to be voted on by people who recognize what an actual accomplishment and the challenges of building a program, of guiding a team, um, recruiting people to a, a school like MJT, which is challenging to find the right niche for people, both with a STEM program and geographically where it's located um, amongst so many competitive programs. Um, those are unique challenges that are different than the experiences you have as an athlete. Um, so to have a successful career be recognized by the peers that get that, um, it really means a lot. And it's something that, again, I remember kind of noticing that award when I was an athlete and then it, it's significant, you know, years later to actually uh, be recognized for that myself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's take a step back then and kind of start there. So let's start with, you know, how you got there. How, how did you get introduced to competitive fencing as an athlete and kind of your path there? Um, well, I picked it up in the streets. So it was a uh, survival of the nerdiest. Uh, <laughs> it was, I, I think everyone has like a random story for getting into fencing. Um, growing up, you see the Zorro and a few Musketeers movies. Um, my parents helped out a family friend who, um, like it just got us into the sport and we had a connection with the, um, the owners of Leloff. And so we helped them out. They um, got us into fencing and then, you know, it took off from there. I was doing martial arts and gymnastics and a lot of other sports at the time and starting a sport at the right age of about 12, I was like, I don't know, I'm set in my ways. I don't need to be picking up a new sport at 12. I already have my primary sports right now. And fencing is one of those sports where it is a sport that people naturally get into at a later age, but I didn't know this at the time. So to enter it, I was kind of, all right, my mom's an eccentric lady. And so I'll just go along with this. And then, you know, sword fighting is pretty awesome when you uh, start doing it and get into it for a period of time. And, you know, it just took off. And that was the, it transitioned into the primary sport, kind of at that high school age, and then um, into college. Nice, nice. Okay. So you were pretty much, you got into it as soon as you started doing it, you, you really got excited about it. I did. Um, like within that first year, it's kind of like, oh, this is, this can actually take me to like national tournaments and international tournaments. And it, it you know, it, it really took off because I had a head, a, a head start in fencing because I was already like a black belt in, other, in martial arts. So the act of doing combat 
that was already, I had experience with that. Um, the core coordination from gymnastics and other sports, like I had that foundation, which is really important to have. And so by the time I entered fencing, I wasn't a non-athlete, I was an experienced athlete for seven years at the time, right. but fencing was a new sport, but that was able to kind of take off quickly when I started. That's interesting. I never knew that. I knew that you, um, I knew that you had done gymnastics. I feel like you mm -hmm. told me that at some point before, but I never knew about the martial arts. So that's super interesting to know that. Yeah, it was, it was different, like in the balance, obviously it's all asymmetrical, but identifying like when you're looking at the core of someone's like torso to like identify some of those movements and making their balance. I was familiar with those concepts. So predicting attacks and actually getting ready to fence, that was an easier transition for me because they had that um like seven years of martial arts already right yeah that's pretty interesting so let's let's continue there in terms of like you mentioned kind of going into high school and going into college what what are some of the experiences you you remember most maybe highs and lows from your your competitive days there you know it was a great experience i homeschooled my entire career prior to college so going to a school like rutgers is a it's a big university um for me, going to Rutgers actually worked out really well because I never expected to know everyone in the street. I think for me, it would have been a little bit stranger if I like was going from a class of one to a class of maybe like a couple hundred where you do know everyone's business and you do recognize everyone and everyone has that drama. At Rutgers, it's like, no, I, I recognize people, but I don't know everyone that I'm gonna be around but then you have pockets on like on the fencing team or you can build other communities. And that was a strong um, benefit for me when I was in school to have that built in connection with people that, you know, you have that team environment. Yeah, that's, I never thought about that either. That's, that's pretty interesting. Um, like transitioning from being homeschooled into a large university like Rutgers with that experience. Yeah. Like, that was, it was, like I said, it was a more natural transition doing that from a class of one to a large university because you know you know people you recognize people around town but you're not going to have that ex expectation of knowing everyone like for me things like eating in a dining hall was kind of foreign because like that was just like not what i'm accustomed to yeah. but going to class like all right you, you sit in a lecture hall you kind of focus on the professor that wasn't really the the moments that were a little bit strange for me it was the like it would have been more strange going when like knowing everyone's business in the smaller school, the bigger school is actually like, for me, it, it, it worked well. Yeah. And just thinking about that now, fencing is almost kind of like a microcosm of that experience because you know, you're, you're competing individually, but you're still on a team and your results yeah. impact the team's results. So like you're able to kind of be in your own world in some ways, but you know, you're still in this larger community, like you said, um, where you, you know, the world doesn't exactly know you as a fencer unless they're in that community, you know what I'm saying? Unless they're connected to that community somehow. So you still have a little bit of privacy and things like that. So that's that's kind of interesting to make that connection there. Yeah, it, I love the fencing world. It's um, I, I've been in it for a number of years now. The people that you compete with growing up, um, like you see them every weekend, every other weekend, traveling across the country, traveling like later on traveling around the world. And it's, you know, you do get to know your competitors more so than other sports, which is a great experience. And then you have that same population when later on, some people go the refereeing route, some people go coaching, some people like still stay in fencing, but it's nice to still evolve with those relationships throughout the, um, your time in the sport. Yeah. 
And that's a really good point, kind of like what comes next after you after you're kind of done competing. And so let's talk about that because you were an excellent fencer. Um, and I remember personally, you know, going to competitions with you and, and fencing together in practice and things like that. You were amazing. So I want to kind of talk about when did you decide to make that transition into coaching or what prompted that? So, you know, as you know, Rutgers cut the fencing program. My, it was my senior year. Um, after, after that year, um, it was really kind of hard going back into fencing because it was a surreal moment when I remember accepting a, um, there was a, an award for getting like all American on the Dean's list um, that the Rutgers athletic director gave and it was presented during a halftime show of a big football program, a big football game when they beat a, um, a nationally ranked opponent. And he was talking about how, how proud he was of athletes that could balance their academics and athletics at the same time and succeed in both areas. And for me, it was like a surreal moment because you pour your heart and soul into a sport and you try to go and balance the time management of doing the academics, doing the sport. It was also like working on the side to pay for school. And to have your sport like kind of unceremoniously cut like that, it, like it hurts. And it's a weird experience that kind of just people didn't care. So going from there, I, I tried to compete a little bit right after school. And I remember going to this first competition and breaking a blade and I was like, oh God, this is, uh, this is expensive. I need to uh, get a job and pay for these blades because wow, this is, this is a lot. Um, so I took some time off. I got my master's degree and I was coming back into New Jersey and my former coach, Yafim, our former coach, Yafim, um, he was transitioned from Rutgers to NJIT. And so he called me up to see if I wanted to be the assistant coach at NJIT because they had just made the transition from division three to division one, and they were looking to rebuild the program. Um, he's a phenomenal technical coach, but he, you know, his personality wasn't the type to kind of like go in and sell people the vision for where this program can be down the road. And he knew that, you know, when I worked with him as a captain, that it would be a good relationship to help foster that growth. Um, for me, it was kind of like, wow, this is, this is going to be an ethyl that. <laughs> it's like we, we have a new Division three program, but the well, Division one program, but the fences are still that Division three mindset. And people join Division three programs um, with different priorities in mind. It's like you can be a phenomenal fencer that's going to Division three program, but you're viewing the sport as a, like a mental break from that academic focus you have. Um, Division one, it's you're trying to challenge yourself in both areas and succeed in both. And that's the challenge in itself. Division three is, no, I'm, I'm good at the sport. I'm competitive with other, co with other colleges. Um, but, you know, push come to shove, my priority is going to be the academics or my career focus. And like, you, you still want to have the opportunities to compete, but that's just a, a different priority there. So the alums, the current students, of that division three you know, program that we had historically, that was transitioning to division one. And it's selling that new vision for the program, that new identity you're trying to create, where the whole fencing community, that's a really tight knit community that has a long history and long standing views about what the program represents. Changing that takes time. It takes years to really build upon that. Going to recruiting events, we are having to work with the high school coaches and the high school athletes to change that, you know, perception about the school and where it's going, not only in the credibility, 
but also in like just what that school represents in the minds of that in this community. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot to take on as, <laughs> as a starting out, you know what I mean? Yeah. So like that being your first experience. So talk a little bit about how did you approach that? You know, how what kinds of things did you say or do to get, you know, student athletes to buy in to um, get your, your, your other staff members to buy in. Um, what was that like for you? I mean, honestly, it's a lot of trial and error. I mean, you don't go into it understanding even what the problem was or what the perception was in the program back when it was starting. Like in hindsight back, like from now looking back, I understand why things led to like that progression. But at the time it's just like, all right, I'm going to be a workhorse and go out there and recruit and drive two hours to go and like meet with some of the athletes that are at least interested in the school and try to get them on board. Getting some of those initial recruits that are just like they themselves might want to come to NGIT and then then actually getting here, signing them, but then having them transfer because this program itself didn't have that infrastructure to support such a high caliber of athlete. And that took some reflection about, okay, I can't just go and sell a program and sell a vision if I can't deliver that one structurally here. So it took some time to, okay, instead of just like buying people because of scholarships, it actually has to be working to organically grow the program where you're getting good people, but getting good people with this is an opportunity to be, to get like a scholarship and to be part of a team where we're actually trying to move forward. So you get enough of them engaged and excited about this vision and you're finding the people that are, you know, maybe those C's or maybe the B's where they wouldn't normally have an opportunity for a scholarship, but this is a opportunity to get a scholarship and be part of a developmental program. One of the things that I, I mentioned with recruits that I talked to is that I'm not looking for people in our program that want to just be another cog in the wheel of an established program where like, I know I'm going to go to this program and be successful or the school is likely to be successful, whether I'm like adding to that or not. The people that we looked for, especially early on, are the ones that really want to have that, you know, I made this happen. And forever in their life, it's whether we got from, you know, the bottom rung up to the next highest tier, and then the next generation takes it even higher. The personality trait is they take pride in moving that needle forward and making that progress. And then also being proud of, because you were able to get this step here, the next generation be able to take it further. And then you constantly build upon that where each generation is really impacting what's what's happening here. Yeah. And like the people that took that initial chance and like believed in the vision, especially because I already had the experience of people that believed in the vision and then I wasn't able to deliver. So the ones after that were again, I'm trying to, to convince and sell and like share the vision for the program and deliver with that like kind of first generation people that really made it happen. You know, it's a really significant moment that the trust that they put in you and then the responsibility of actually delivering upon that experience for those initial athletes. Going forward, it's like different challenges, but that initial like growth from the change in identity of the school, it's, it's tough. It's a, it's a great experience to do. Yeah. But you don't know exactly how to do it when you're first starting out. It's just like, all right, I'm going to try, got shot down here, going to try out with this other area, what works, what doesn't work. So you can start to go and gain some traction and then it's like, all right, I have a chance. How am I going to actually deliver here? Yeah. 
And to that point, I mean, did you have any, um, any difficulty working with the school side of things in terms of being able to deliver on some of the things that you know you were you were communicating to the athletes? Was there any pushback from the school, or how did that side of the process work? I I always made it a point to like communicate the plans going forward with both the athletes and the administration. Okay. Um, selling the administration on this is the vision, this is the potential we have. That took years because it's you give a little. Like they give a little and you deliver and they give a little more and then you deliver and it's building up that track record, which takes, you know, a long time to actually develop the athletes and like there's, you know, you say like, all right, over a three year period, you take someone that like kind of, it grows, but there is a lot of days in between that three year period where it's like making sure you're delivering each day and the little things that might come up here and there, it's, you know, the scale and the scope of what you have to do is um, is challenging. Okay. So they were supportive of it. They didn't like give you everything when you start, but they want you to succeed. And they like are looking for opportunities. Fencing is a good sport to develop like this because you can make really good accomplishments as a single athlete. Mm -hmm. So you can get one good athlete that can make good accomplishments themselves. And then that starts to go and add the credibility in the mind of that a greater community. Yeah. Now it's not only that one athlete, and there's a lot of complications of like scheduling with other schools because they have this power rating system, which is it disincentivizes people from fencing schools with an average that is too weak. Mm. So there's a you have to really be strategic about actually developing the program. And making sure that you understand how how the game is played, how the coaches view it, and then like kind of how the top programs also compete with themselves by having smaller programs within a certain region develop and take away some of the qualifying spots. And it's a it's a complicated game as you get better and you kind of see how those better programs compete with one another. Yeah. It's it's not just the like competing school for school. It's a lot of also hey, can we fence this other school in a different region, help out their season, and then they have a better shot of like themselves qualifying people to nationals. Yeah. And then if that other developing program qualifies more people to nationals, great for them, it looks good because it's a fun newsworthy event, but then also you have some of those programs that are, all right, well now you're eliminating some of the competition from those top schools if they can't qualify the full roster. Right. So those are some of the strategic games that the top schools are playing amongst themselves, in addition to the, all right, we're going to go and train our friendships to be the best that they can be. So kind of when I first saw it, I was like, wow, that is, I had no idea that that's kind of what those top programs are doing. Um, but it's just like the layers of development, like the challenges I had, the challenges that other kind of established programs do and the challenges that the top programs have, there's always like kind of different levels and different strategy to have when you're uh, rising up the, le the levels. Yeah, that's not even something I would have thought about, but that's super interesting to hear you speak about, like, you know, strategizing, not just in terms of the actual, the actual sport <laughs> and the actual recruiting, but, you know, with your peers, with your, with your coaching community and with the other, the other programs. So, wow, that's multi-layered to say yes. that. Yes. Um, and it, it, it keeps it fun. I mean, it, like the recruiting, the, you don't want to like, you want to really be honest and like kind of radically honest with the athletes you're bringing in because 
the successful program happens when you bring in an athlete that knows what they're going to expect when they arrive on campus and you can deliver upon that expectation and then they succeed. And as you see, and they're really happy and involved with the program coming forward because you, you communicated successfully what you're all about. Mm-hmm. Now, we have a very niche program, but you want to make sure that no matter which program people are going to, that they know what they're going to get in this program. If you talk to them and they're not a good fit, then you let them know and you don't try to sell them and convince them of something that's not really going to be a good situation here because they're not looking for that. And then because the other schools know that there are different fits for different reasons, you, know, you have a really good relationship with the other coaches. And yeah, just like any sport, you still want to win, but it's a long-term game and you're not trying to like develop a bad reputation because you're like for short-term victories that, you know, integrity and that kind of long-term growth is really important. And then, you know, you'd be smart about it. You strategize and kind of play that, that game. Yeah. And as the more the more you talk, the more I think about it. I think like New Jersey is probably one of the most unique states for something like this to happen because there's such a large pool of high school fencers. There's so many schools, you know, thinking about just the amount of fencers that are available in New Jersey specifically. Um, that's probably one of the most likely places that something like this could work where you're developing a program, um, you know, that way. Kind of. Um... Yes and no. I think that um, we have an advantage because we have a lot of clubs and there's a lot of opportunities for fencers to come and actually get good experience, getting good bouts and are going to like a rock or an open on the weekend. We're not having a a college competition. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that that's a critical mass of fencing opportunities in this area. Um, And people have heard of the school, but like it's, it's definitely a repeatable type of experience. I think it's more the pairing between fencing and NGIT, not necessarily NGIT in New Jersey. Okay. Um, because I still, I think that there's enough fencers that want to like, even if they're learning to fence in New Jersey, there are enough of those fencers that want to go out of state. Mm-hmm. And like, if you're recruiting those fencers, like, yes, it helps being here, but I think that that's still like a developing program could still use the same um, the same tools to, to succeed elsewhere. Okay, good point. So let's talk a little bit about that then. Looking back at your progression, um, what advice or suggestions would you give to someone interested in coaching at the college level? Um, network, <laughs> get your feet wet. Um, it is definitely one of those things where there are limited resources in every level. Um, so there are good positions that are like lucrative and rewarding and getting a nice like job being a head coach in university that's a good position to be in but it takes time to get to that point um the more you know the more but it's meeting the people is important demonstrating that you can actually work with someone and then understanding that you know the schools want to see the experience, want to make sure that you can deliver good results for the athletes you're working with, but you have to work within the restrictions that they have. A lot of schools are not going to go and prioritize and give a lot of money for, you know, the fencing staff. So understanding or being flexible with, okay, 
this is the expectation, this is what I can do. But if it's a money problem, adjusting the hours. If it's a hour problem, like you can still negotiate, but don't just accept the first answer because that's what the other side is, what they came to the table expecting. Mm. Negotiate and kind of figure out ways of making the situations work because that skill is also going to be some of the skills of you know really having an impact on the program is can you see a challenge and can you find resourceful creative ways of sort of passing that gotcha super insightful man um a lot of things like i said again i, I just wouldn't have thought about um in terms of the experience of starting out and, and progressing as a coach um, but super interesting um Again, I want to just congratulate you on an incredible season. Um, a few individual medalists at the NCAAs. Um, I believe this is the first, uh, was it the first N NJIT um, like program trophy? Is that, is that correct, something like that? Yeah, first, uh, first NCAA trophy in school history. That's amazing, man. Yeah. Record books, records. Yes, yes. That, like it, the number of All-Americans we had, the, the first trophy, the, the Elite 90 award, I mean, there were like, we had a great year and like each individual accomplishment was in and of itself like really amazing to, to give. And what's interesting to see is a lot of those athletes, this was their first time making the championships. And I was so proud of them for like, it is, it is such a hard competition. And for them to keep on fighting and not just let that event snowball over them, to come back, to keep on fighting, to try harder the next day, that was just, they did an amazing job in that tournament. Yeah. But it was also really rewarding to go and see that as someone that's been here for the entire process, that's like, oh my God, this was such a great year, guys. You have no idea yet kind of what this was until like a couple of years down the road and you're out of it. And it's like, wait, that was a really great college experience. Like the alums that I talked to have like, they are so ecstatic and giddy about kind of what these athletes have done. And not all of them have said like it's sunk in yet because it was just like kind of, they made it to nationals and all this stuff happens. Like that's an amazing accomplishment. And yeah. just like kind of let that sink in, let it grow. And it's, I, I, I kind of have the same experience too with like the coach of the year stuff because people like kind of know the award and it's kind of interesting to like people you wouldn't expect and kind of they mention it. it's like that's just humbling to go and see that myself the same thing with the athletes are getting at the all-american and the recognitions those are just huge accomplishments that they are not quite understanding yet um and it's it's fun to see that and also fun to know that as they continue to like be graduating, you know, move on, that they'll look back and like really like, wow, that was like a Cinderella season. That was really amazing to have that as a team. Yeah, I'm super excited to see what what happens from here. You know, what what's next for you? What's next for the team? Thank uh, you. I mean, maybe you could talk a little bit about about your goals going forward. Like at this point, what are some goals for maybe next season or beyond? Um, at this point, it's more like sustainability. It's kind of like getting connecting with the alums because the early alums that we have, we've had a long history of the program. Like um, we had an Olympian in 2016, but we've also had two Olympians prior to that. 
Um, so the program's been around for a, a long time. And kind of like what I was saying earlier, like the people that join a Division three program can be phenomenal athletes. But the priorities in the athletes when it's Division three are different than the athletes that are when it's Division one. So communicating with the alums for that graduated when the program was Division three, they are really involved with like giving career opportunities or like, development, mentorship, which is great to have and a great resource. The younger alums that graduated when it was Division one have more athletic minded um, interests when they're actually getting back involved and supporting the program, but they're also really young alums. So building that young alumni network with, that have like the priorities for giving back to succeed athletically, we're gonna succeed as opposed to these are really good people and we wanna see them succeed in their career. Those are just, both are really valid, but we're, I'm trying to go and like actually learn and develop and like figure out how to tap into that young alumni base now that they're actually gaining some traction in the career, getting them back involved, which is something that like kind of, that's a first for my career is yeah. kind of fostering that and building those relationships where it's not just like, kind of, like I mentioned earlier, the job of coach is not just coaching, it is program building. And then when you're at the develop, like at those larger programs, it's playing that game of chess with other universities. Yeah. The job is also, and then connecting with the alums to make sure that that expectation was delivered, they're successful and proud of it. And they want to also be excited about the program and the success that the students have right now. And then communicating that success, providing them opportunities to get involved, giving them those updates and kind of like just facilitating that. That's, that's new territory and that's kind of like where I'd like to develop it because there are a lot of other sustainable avenues that I'd like to go and make sure that we have the resources to kind of facilitate for the program. Yeah, another layer of strategy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You gotta keep it interesting. You gotta challenge yourself and kind of like, you know, set those audacious goals and be like, all right, I don't know how, but we're gonna get there. It's gonna be fun and yeah, you know, step by step, those day in and day out. Yeah, you know, it happens. I have total confidence in, in you as a coach <laughs> and as a leader to be able to navigate the program, you know, to higher heights. So, again, man, kudos on this season and you know, Godspeed and all the best going forward as well. I have full confidence that you'll be able to do your thing, so. Thank you very much. It's great talking. Likewise. Really appreciate it. So again, U.S. Uh, Fencing Coaches Association 2020-2021 Coach of the Year, Jason Henderson. Before you go, um, you know, I just want to share something with you really quickly. Um, if I can get it working here. Let's see. There we go. Ah, <laughs> little throwback there. Baby face Jason. <laughs> Baby face Jason there. But yeah, man. Just want to say that with you. Again, I just appreciate you for uh, you know, all the insight and all the perspective, man. I appreciate it. We'll talk again. Absolutely. Great chatting. All right, man. <laughs> Bye-bye.